back to Deep Shit. This is Baron Vaughn speaking. Deep Shit, you should already know the name of this damn podcast. And if you don't, well then, fuck you! As Al Pacino would say. Not fuck you. Fuck you! Like it's a like it's one word. Which is always, always pleasant. Anyway, um, this episode is with my good friend Zach Sherwin. Zach I've known for a while. Um, I'm... I know him from the Boston comedy scene, and we've become uh, good friends in New York slash Los Angeles, um, and he came over to talk to me about manhood. Manhood, I hope you're thinking, what the hell does that mean? Well, we uh, we discover some interesting things about ourselves um, in relation to that subject, things that um, have been on both of our minds as of late, so um, I hope that you find that uh, fascinating, and please leave some comments and and um, reviews and, and ratings and stuff like that, you know, uh, I would like it if people continue to to, uh, to listen, you know, Poop Farts McGillicuddy, <laughs> that's my way of saying thanks. I always fly, lyrically, so good guy, that's mm. my impression of you, I can't even... <laughs> <laughs> Because I'm, I'm trying to do the hand. Freestyle microphone check. Warm up. Dog raining down on you like a storm pup. Baron Vaughn on the beat. Like the beastie boys. I got the beat on the back. Because the beat destroys. I mean, I destroyed the beat. Switch the sentence around. I'll be putting it down. Just representing the sound. I make my voice sound like a vocal scratch. I'm going to spit a couple more lines. Then I'm going to pass it back to the man Baron Vaughn. All across the track and the table as well. He's Baron Vaughn Black. Yeah, sometimes you fart. You might call it a rip. This is Baron Vaughn. Welcome to Deep Shit. All right. Poops what the hell just happened? Poops McGillicuddy. Um, Zachariah, what is Zach short for? Zachary. Zachary? Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. It sounds like a, something that you would buy a Zach at. Like you would go to the boutiquery, then you would go to the Zachary. Mm-hmm. The no. boulangerie. The boulangerie. Uh, <laughs> all other words. Kitty, can you turn my headphones down and drop? Yeah, can you turn the headphones down? Yep, turn, turn my headphones down. Turn the headphones down. <laughs> I'm hearing myself too much. Turn my headphones down. Yo, bring the beat in sooner so I can start rapping quicker. <laughs> Wait, I'm two, right? Okay, I want mine louder. I, I'm not him. Did you say Ching Chong? Well, that's racist. <laughs> I said Chink Chonk. Oh, oh. The first <laughs> way half, different. The first half was worse. The second half was, <laughs> was better. Yes, yeah, so a chonk is, I don't know what that is. Um, it's a chunk of something with a different vowel. <laughs> if you had, if you took, if it was like a big cookie that was an O, and you took a chunk out of it, it's really a chunk because it was an a O chunk. cookie. Right? Sure, an Oreo. A chunk. That's you, a pretty O ish cookie. They're shaped what'd like What'd you call o. me? Um, this is really intimate. Isn't it? We're very close, and I know. all I can do is look into your eyes. That's fine because eye contact is the window to the soul. That's not how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking into your soul windows. I, eye contact is just looking at a window. <laughs> hey, you have something in your window to your soul. You have something in the window to your soul. <laughs> That is the, that is the uh, the nicest way you could tell somebody <laughs> they have something in their eye. Hey, you got something in the window to your soul. What is that? Bird poo. <laughs> Will you hand me my phone so I can write that down? Man, I'm always I'm always putting pies on the window to my soul. <laughs> Where's your phone? It's in the top packet of that bag. You know what? We'll just do it later. You just, got something in the eye. You got something in the window to your soul. All right, fine. Because I was talking to someone the other day, and Zachary I, Sherwin is writing down a note for a joke. I thought of something clever, and I, I thought I should stop and write that down, and then I didn't, and I lost it, and it's gone. Do you have any? Um, you want to read off some? This might be fun. You have like I assume you have like a, a notes thing where you have a bunch of ideas for jokes. In I there. go Twitter. My Twitter feed is now my 
joke notebook. Yeah, that, that tends to there. be for me too. Most mm-hmm. of the time, my tweets are just tweets. And because uh, I have this thing, like someone's going to come to my show, like the one person that comes to my show because of my Twitter account. And it's like, March 23rd, 2010. How dare you? You liars. <laughs> I remember it was 849 in the afternoon, Pacific Standard Time. And you wrote, Rome wasn't built in a day, but Lego Rome was three hours. And now you're saying this Ooh. on stage. Good. And way to sneak that joke in. I like it. Well, that was that's it's always the tweets that I love. That no one cares about. And then something I write that is complete bullshit that somebody has like 25 retweets. Really? What do you do? What's your policy? It seems like the accepted Twitter etiquette. Mm-hmm. Twitiquette. Twitiquette or Twitterkit. Edit twit. Edit twit. Yeah. That, sound, that sounds like. Um, oh, this uh, is going to work out really well. It sounds like Edda James and Conway Twitty had a child. Edda twit. What a, what a weird combination. Edda James and Conway Twitty had a child. They called it Edda twit. I'd pay to watch that sex tape. Um, <laughs> I guess. Uh, so what is your edit twit etiquette? Mm-hmm. In terms of what? Because, by the way, that was a bon mo, everybody. If you have, if you don't know what bon mos are, that's that's what they are. It's what you hear in the salons. Um, it seems like the accepted thing to do is if you write a tweet that has a mistake in it, you repost it immediately again with the thing fixed. But I'd rather I always do that. I would rather erase the first one and then I don't know, I don't know why people don't erase the first one. I guess is what I I'm saying. Delete it Expunge as soon it from as I can. the record. Yeah, I mean the thing is the the problem with that is when you um, you uh, sync your Twitter to yeah. other other uh, you know networks. Yeah, and then um, I've had it where I like oh that's a horrible typo or sometimes because I use like a Twitter thing that if you just think about hitting enter it tw- it tweets it before you finish the sentence like a segue yeah it's like i just think i want to oh no that's not that's not mm-hmm. a tweet so i have to delete it on twitter delete it on facebook delete it on google buzz delete it on- <laughs> <laughs> don't worry about that one are you sure i, I feel like it's the most important one <laughs> wait so your thing is syncs it to all your different networks but it won't take it down from all your different networks sometimes it depends the end <laughs> cool <laughs> Cool, man. No, I, I, I will correct the typo. I will change a word. I, I even get bothered if I if I like type the word what and um, somehow the A is capitalized. That bothers me. I – oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, like it's like everything else is, un, you know, like not capitalized. Right. And people might think it's pronounced what? <laughs> what? 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 What is a funny word to say like that? It what? <laughs> what? It's not that funny. Because you're calling someone a twat while saying what? 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 I was in a spelling bee when I was a kid, mm-hmm. and th- they gave the girl... Did you it spell was, it? It was my opponent. Did you spell C instead of B? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the spelling bee. B! I win! <laughs> spell B. Um, B-E. Correct. No, I was going to say two E's. You're out. Thanks, everybody. Both are correct. Let's shoot that sketch. Um, the woman was like, the word is whelp. And my opponent said, could it be pronounced whelp? And the speller said, whelp. And then the girl spelled it H-W-E-L-P. Wait a minute, what? she lost. Wait a minute. She, she, did, she just responded with saying it again? Yeah. Whelp? Whelp. That's so wrong. Why would you do that? White women. I mean, really. Um, That's uh, where was this? Ohio. Of course. Mm -hmm. They always they always do like. uh, Oh, Ohio. That's very that's very received pronunciation is what it's called. 
What? Do you know what received pronunciation no. is? Uh, I mean, there's 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 the Queen's English, right? Mm-hmm. Um, RP is the uh, the uh, hand me the iPad. Okay. Because then I can look this up on Wikipedia and give you a handing him the iPad. A better answer uh, than the one I'm going to come up with because what if I from my um, uh, understanding of it because you know I went to theater school and we studied the international phonetic alphabet mm, and the IPA the IPA that's absolutely right you know not to be confused with a delicious beer. Not, not with a hoppy, grapefruity, India, India pale ale. Noted. Yes. Um, and um, received pronunciation is basically, it is the absence of all um, accents. It is the absence of an accent. The absence accent, of an absence. Accent. The mm. absence of accent. We can't stop freestyling. I, I know. That's interesting because as far as I know, Ohio is where is the ideal accent origin point for newscasters and such. Yeah, Ohio that's what is totally flat. People from Ohio are told. And I am from Ohio, so I'm spitting the party line. Mm-hmm. Go Buckeye State. Mm, Round at both ends, high in the middle. I know that one. <laughs> why, oh, why, oh, would you go to Ohio? Isn't that, isn't that one? <laughs> that's from one of my songs. Is it? Mm-hmm. I've heard that before, your song. That's an expression, though, isn't it? Is it? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Whelp. That's, that's your answer. Whelp. Okay, let me see. Let me see. Look at this. We're, we're down right received pronunciation boom there it is also called rp um this article contains ipa phonetic symbols received pronunciation also called the queen's or king's english oxford english or bbc english is the accent of standard english in england with a relationship to regional accents similar to the relationship in other european languages between their standard varieties and their regional forms RP uh-huh. is defined in the concise Oxford Dictionary as the standard accent of English as spoken in the south of England. So that is so received pronunciation is the British accent, but the one the, we know and are familiar with. Yeah, but it's but it's it's a very it's the Queen's English, meaning that it's not colloquial like Cockney, right, or a Londoner accent, which is somewhere in between, or someone from Birmingham, <laughs> which is or Leeds, you know, a can Liverpool. Can you do those different accents? I can do a few. Like I can do, do received it. pronunciation. And then I can do kind of a Londoner, which is a little bit more, has a different rhythm to it. But then I, Black Britons. I'd like to hear you do Usually it. from Brixton <laughs> uh, is a different accent. And then the further north you get, the more it starts to sound like Scott, which Scotland is part of England, part of the UK, I mean to say. Um, and, you know, when you're up when you're up at like Northern England, like I'm thinking, uh, I can't think of anything. You know what they say? Love. Love. He loves you. Like that, where it almost sounds like that. But then like the Liverpudlian is like its own weird little accent. That sounded Liverpudlian to me. Yeah. Like it's how I would imitate Liverpudlian John has Lennon. some of those it has some of those um love. Those uh those uh those rhythms to it. Those sounds. Love. I mean re- re- received pronunciation is a little more like this. Mm-hmm. A little more. Right. See and you would say white. You sound like Stewie a little white bit. White snow. Well Stewie is more like this. <laughs> Stewie's here. Klaus, that's Stewie, <laughs> right? Well, I don't have to fucking listen to you. Um, I don't, that's what he says, except they bleep it out in the show. Um, Why is it called received? Received from the queen? They yeah, it down in a sort of way, like Castellano. Like Castellano is received from King Philip, you know, because they have that lisp. Yeah, which supposedly the legend is the king of Spain, King Philip, had a no. lisp. That's the legend is that he had a lisp, and that everyone and people- was so afraid to. They thought if you didn't speak with the lisp and that you were mocking him. Is that for real? That's the, I don't know if it's for real, but that's the lore. That's the legend. That's amazing. Yeah. Legend of the lisp. People didn't want to get their heads cut off, so they adopted a lisp. They adopted a lisp, and that became how Spain, Spanish was spoken. Imagine how much 
you would you'd have to spend all your day at court talking in this affected lisp and then you'd get home at night and be like god honey this is the craziest job yeah exactly you know somebody had a uh Somebody had a joke that, like, thank God it wasn't Tourette's or something. Like, that would have that would have very much changed the Spanish language. Um, Can we say one thing about IPAs? Yeah, go ahead. The other night at a bar, you said to me, smell this beer. And you gave me a beer to smell. And I smelled it. And you said, you know what that is? And I said, lambic framboise. And you said, yes, that is it. And you seemed a little impressed. And I felt really, I felt great about knowing what your beer was. Really? I just wanted to check in about that moment. Well, um, there was a bar in Boston that I used to go to. Which bar? Um, Sunset Grill. Yeah, in, tons of beers. In, in, yeah, off of Harvard Street in, in Brighton, slash Alston, Alston Brighton kind of crossover. Right. But that was like walking distance from where most BU students lived, or at least the ones that I knew, the theater students. And then their whole thing was that they boasted like having like 300 beers on tap. It's an overwhelming beer place. Yeah. And I went there with a couple friends, and my friend used to uh, serve there. And then I was like, I looked at the menu and I just said, what's the most expensive beer? If this is supposed to be 300 beers on tap, the most expensive beer must be the best one, right? So I got that beer and became addicted to it. How much does a Lambic Framboise run you? Uh, usually about $10 for a glass. Oh, that's not ex- – I mean, that's a nice, you know, every now and then for kind of thing. beer. Is that your regular go-to beer? Not always. Do you like fruity beers? Like It's it? like the wine of beer. Like people – someone told me that it's like basically it's made because it's like, it's like the runoff from wine. You know, like they, they smash the grapes and then um, that becomes, you know, and then the, the, the it becomes wine. But then like the, they use the runoff or something huh. and then it ferments. Where does the raspberry part come in? I don't know. I think that's flavoring later. We have to look that up. There's a Roots lyric about Lambic Framboise. Is there really? Yeah. What is the lyric? Do you remember? Um, dun, dun, sipping the Lambic Framboise. And then I think he says, what's the cure for this hip hop cancer? It might rhyme with cancer, Framboise. That doesn't rhyme with cancer. Black thought will push those rhymes. He a will. Little bit. He's always pushing the the. He's always pushing the thoughts of black. It might not be. <laughs> it might not be that particular transition, but it's definitely nothing new on Things Fall Apart, which, in my opinion, is the best Roots album. We were talking oh. before the podcast about what the best Beastie Boys album is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And our uh, producer over here, Katie Levine, who I want to call Levine because I knew a friend. I had a friend in college who who insisted. That her last name was pronounced Levine. You guys. And even capitalized the V. She's probably listening right what? now. What? Yeah. Like, what? <laughs> what? Levine. Why would you do? What? I can't believe it. Um, anyway. <laughs> potato, potato. That was a cool meeting Black Thought and, and when I did Fallon. And, oh. And he kind of knew who I was. Man. Yeah, I guess he had looked up my stand-up or something. Man. But that was cool. I'm going to secret this. Uh-oh. I want to do Fallon because if the roots learned one of my songs and backed me up that would be my 13 year old self would die if i he knew that was going to happen in out. the future you know what zach i think that well you have enough stand-up that is just stand-up that you can because what is that's like a five minute six minute set so you could open with you could probably do one song on on fallon I know it's so tricky. My songs are about two to two and a half minutes. Yeah, you could do. So it's hard to squeeze two in. Well, you can no. That's what I'm saying. You'd have to do one song. I think you'd do two minutes of jokes. You know, you can be like Leaning Tower Pisa. It's really italicized. <laughs> or uh, you, you got something in your uh, your windows to your soul. Or uh, you know, other jokes. See, I forgot about that since we said it, but I am going to want to talk about it again. So it's good that I wrote it down. What the italicized or the window? Of the no, thought. windows to the soul. Yeah, that happens all the time, man. I've. 
I have forgotten so many genius premises. Too bad I just end up with the bad ones. <laughs> That's what I just end up with. I'm like, I go on stage being like, I thought of something that was great. Never again. I was talking to... Yeah, who were you talking to? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you were talking to a vowel? Mike. Mike Kaplan? Yes, M-I-Q. our mutual friend, MYQ yeah. Kaplan. Mike, who I would like, love to have on this podcast, and at some point it'll happen. Mike loves podcasts. Yes, he does. Just you won't be able to beat him off this podcast with a stick. He's always casting pods. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> More like Mike Kasten. <laughs> More like Podcasten. Oh That's like so far Pod-Kaplan? away from his name that it doesn't even make you think of him. The Podcapped? <laughs> He can call his podcast that. Hi, this is Mike. I can't do a Mike impression. Anyway, you were talking to Mike. What was the story? Mm. Yeah. Uh, so, yes, I was talking to Mike. And he said that you disparaged your your bro bit and said that you wished you were doing smarter stuff. And I think that's a smart – we were saying we think that's a smart joke. What do you mean my bro bit? That ends with you singing Kiss from a Bros. Kiss from a Bros. Um, I do – I disparage it to a sense, but, like, it's like uh, – I really, I, I've learned that my process is I hate my act. I love it, then I hate it. Really, really hate it. And feel in a way that like there's some shame and some doubt. What? And then Aaron. then I write a bunch of stuff that I love. And I'm like, hey, this is what I want to be doing. And then I hate it again. So you're saying when you write it, you're good to go. You like mm-hmm. the material. And then when you start putting it up and seeing how it works out in the world, right. in some way your brain morphs it into... A thing that you're no longer well, you know, proud of? And I also kind of feel this thing about, like, I used to have a joke a long time ago that I always opened with because I knew the audience would laugh. And that's and that was the thing. Like, I knew they were going to laugh. Yeah. But I didn't really love it. Yes. But I knew it would get them on my side and and make 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 it uh, possible for me to do stuff that I do love because now I've just earned them. Yes. But, and o- openers are really important because yeah. in a way you feel like you're defining yourself for the whole set with what you do first thing. Or at least I do. I'm like, Absolutely. here's the first thing I choose to tell you about myself. Learn about me from here. Absolutely. And I've learned how to do openers that I like now. Will you say what the old opener was? Yeah. Um, it was um, It was just about the voice of reggae. Because it was like there was a lot of Sean Paul on the radio at the time. Yes. And um, I said something like, it's like, I just love the reggae voice. You know, how should I have it about that? Like, you can do, you can literally say anything in that voice and it would be a hit. Yeah. It would be like, which was what I was listening to. I was listening to Shaggy does the hits of Disney. Um, that was the joke. Yeah, hot. That kind of Mr. Bombastic. That's a better Shaggy than me. Mr. Bombastic. <laughs> mm. It sounds like when Shaggy represents the Lollipop Guild. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Or I, Glomer from the old Punky Brewster cartoon. That. Oh my God. That's that's quite a reference. That's quite a reference. <laughs> I knew you'd be there. Um, I. Um, but then something happened in New York that I actually had an experience with Sean Paul, and then I was able to turn that into a story. Yeah. Something that had happened yeah. to me, and then I was no longer ashamed of the bit because it was like I, I opened with that, and I because and basically what happened was I was at this diner or not diner but a deli on Forty Seventh and Broadway, which is the middle of Times Square. Yeah, and um, it's the only place that's quiet if you have to be in Times Square. And I'm down there getting some stuff off the buffet, and I see this guy with Sean Paul's braids, and I'm like, that guy looks like Sean Paul. That's crazy, and he kept looking at me. And um, he didn't have his sunglasses on, right? Yeah. Later, off-duty cop comes in, and he's on the phone. He's like, hold on real quick. Excuse me, are you Sean Paul? 
And the guy's like, yeah, I am. And then the, the officer like shakes his head. Oh, my God. I'm such a huge fan. Wow. Girl, I got the right tactics to turn you. I love that. Come on. Thank you. Then I go upstairs and eat. And the cop is there on the phone again. He's like, yeah, I just met Sean Paul. He's so down to earth. And I had that experience because Sean Paul kept looking at me. When I noticed him. Yeah. And then when the cop was talking to him, he kept looking at me again as if to say, why aren't you recognizing me, black person? Oh. I'm going to call the council of black people and get you some demerits. That's Sean what, Paul wanted your approval. I don't know. I, I think at first maybe it was he was afraid that I was going to recognize him. And then secondly, it was uh, you should have recognized What me. race was the cop? White. Oh. Yeah, exactly. Of Sean all, Paul biracial. The worst kind of white. <laughs> Law enforcement white <laughs> Is Sean Paul black? Yeah, he's Jamaican-ish Right, okay This is what Wikipedia is for Yeah, he's black, what are you talking about? He's just light-skinned Yeah, he's light-skinned Yeah, I Am I allowed to say light-skinned? Uh, yeah, you did, you just did it Yeah He's about Negro shade, I'd say two or three I'm not gonna say that Negro shade? Yeah <laughs> Okay all right. I don't think I have clearance. <laughs> you don't have clearance. All right, that's fine. Anyway, let's get to our subjects. We, Hold we, on. I want to say one thing about this before we move. Having a story for a joke is a great way to sort of say, I know that's kind of a joke. I've, I've gone there, too. Like, I've had jokes that have had stories that come out of telling them. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely a good way to feel like you're doing more than just spitting one thought out. It lends yeah. some base note to Exactly. A and then it becomes suddenly it's a five minute bit instead of one minute and then now I only have a few more jokes to do. Good night. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I see it. That's why sometimes when I like I remember the first time I headlined um Zanies in Chicago, like I was pretty nervous about like oh, I gotta do forty five, you know. And I had done it at colleges, mm-hmm. but I knew it was gonna be different because it was people who pay their own bills. Yeah. So but then stuff would happen in the audience. Like, I never go on stage trusting myself to do crowd work. Like, I'm like, oh, I'm going to just look a riff. Like, there's certain comedians that are like, I'm just going to riff and see what happens. Yeah, I'll do these three jokes and then the riff part. Exactly. And then they're freaking brilliant. But I have to go on stage with something. And if something happens in the audience, then I will, you know. And sometimes there was a thing that happened in Chicago where a friend of mine, an old college friend, got rip roaring drunk before the show started and was yelling at me, but positive. Heckling, but the audience doesn't know Ugh. I know him. And his version of saying, I love you, man, was him going, I'm going to murder you. That's what he was saying. <laughs> he kept saying that. And the audience could Great not have friend. been more nervous. They were like, I'm going to murder you. Because to them, two black people, <laughs> one was saying, one, a black guy was saying, I'm going to murder you. And we all know when black people say that, it's usually true. Yeah, we've heard about this kind of we've violence. Heard about this. this is Chicago. This is on the South Side. What's happening? But then he. I was trying to tell the audience, calm down. I know him. That's my friend. He really means to say, I care about you and I enjoy what you're doing. He's like, yeah, murder. (laughs) And then at some point he decides he's going to leave the show because he's being loud. He feels bad. He's being disruptive. But for some reason, he thinks the entrant or the exit is on the stage. So I'm doing a joke and then suddenly he's on the stage. And then he's next to me and I'm like, what? It was like he just literally appeared like Hamlet's father. And I'm like, what the hell is happening? And then we had a thing, and I somehow, I don't know how I did this, but like I somehow calmed my friend down, got him out of there without embarrassing him, without making him feel bad, and making it funny for the audience. This raises all kinds of questions. Yeah. Did he come in from the stage? No. Why would he think the exit was through the stage? Because the door was next to the stage. The, the, the entrance to the whole the club is next to the stage, but no one exits there because it's right next to the stage. The, there's a different door that everyone exits through. 
So he thought, oh, there it is. And he saw these stairs thinking that was the door. And then he comes up on the stage. In your friend's defense, if there's a door next to the stage and it's the one you yeah. came in through. No, it's not that. I, didn't, I wasn't saying, like, how could he possibly think that? But he's suddenly on the stage. You definitely need to have a talk with him about comedy show behavior, though. We he was felt bad. Like the next day, he like wrote me a message. He's like, I can't believe that. Blah blah blah. But um, I don't know how I did it. Honestly, like yeah. it was like suddenly everybody was laughing, and then also my show was over. So it was like I did <laughs> I did like ten minutes of stand up, and then it was forty minutes dealing with that situation. And I was like, you know what? I am so glad that happened. Because there's no risk of me going under my time now. <laughs> and then I ended the show, and it was perfect. That's great. And crowds feel like they saw something in the moment and real and they unique did. that could have only happened there. Exactly. And mm. that's a rewarding feeling. Yes, it is. Mm. I feel like I'm a Pabst, and I got that blue ribbon. <laughs> like I'm G.W. Pabst, the director. Um <laughs> Is G.W. Pabst the name of the Pabst guy? No. Um, there's a famous German director named Pabst. Oh. And uh, I think it's G.W. For George Washington. George Washington Pabst. Yes, the German the German. I'll look hero. it up b- by before the end of the podcast. But anyway. Georg. Getting, getting to... <laughs> yes, Georg. Uh, getting to our subject. Um, when I talked to you the other night at a bar after a sh- comedy show, a schmomedy schmo, mm-hmm. Um, I told you about my podcast and how I wanted to have you on it, and I, I posed the question to you of what is the thing that you constantly find yourself coming back to that you always find yourself checking in about, like, that you're obsessed with, in a way. A big life theme, if you will. Sure. And you said, well, I'll let you explain it. <laughs> I think you did a good job explaining what the podcast is about, mm-hmm. and the thing that jumped to mind was the idea of... I think I used the word manhood the other night. You did use manhood. And I don't mean like they do in Harlequin novels as a synonym for a guy's penis. Instead, I was talking about... <laughs> ah, ah, he thrust his manhood into the windows of her soul. <laughs> uh, that is my favorite sexual position, by the way. Um, the D- windows to the soul? D to E. Oh, yeah. Um, <clears throat> but, um, yeah, I mean... By by manhood, I meant my concept of myself as a guy, as a man. And I actually thought about it after we had that conversation mm-hmm. because you and I have talked a little bit before about not having dads around when we were growing up as kids. Yeah. And for me, that's been a big theme that's starting to show up more as I get older. Mm-hmm. And But how? It's a thing. Well, what do you mean like it's a big thing? Like, what, like how is it manifesting itself? Well... How is it manifesting itself? I guess I just... How is it man-festing itself? <laughs> a man-fest. Yeah. This is the manliest podcast, by the way, anyone can ever hear. Continue what you're saying. Two sensitive guys discussing things Two we think about a lot. Two sensitizing things of sensitive nature. What not, were you saying? Not sports or cars. Did you say outside you're not into sports and cars? Yeah. I'm I mean, I'm, I'm learning that I am into cars. I'm learning that, like, as a 30-year-old man, I'm like, I think I like cars. Like, I'm interested in them. I'm interested in the structure, like, how they work. Huh. Like, like engines, like, stuff like that. I've, been, I've found myself watching car shows on TV, like, Overhauled. You ever seen that show? No. It's kind of an incredible show. Huh. It's, it's an incredible show. Anyway, that's beside the point. I want to hear more about what you were saying. You were saying that, like, it's starting to show up. Like in your life? I think I'm just more aware of it. My Okay, so my parents got divorced when I was two. Mm-hmm. And my dad was literally out of the picture after that. Too soon. <laughs> Too soon, dad. <laughs> <laughs> 
whoa, too soon. <laughs> Is that what you said? Yeah. When you left. As a kid, Good anticipating God. that trend. That's when I started it. Oh, my God. I'll, I'll, take, I'll go ahead and take credit for that. It's getting dark. Continue. So he was, he was out of the picture when I was a little kid and was not in touch. I would hear reports about him every now and then from family members, but it was kind of not talked about on one side of my family and only his brother like my, my, I was mostly in touch with my mom's side. That's who I knew. That was who my family was. And mm-hmm. my only connection to him on his side was his brother, my uncle. And he didn't really want to talk about it too much either. So I had very, very little dad influence when I was a kid. And people would say, was that a sad thing for you? And my answer was always no, because I was so little when he left that I never had the experience of having a dad around mm-hmm. to know what I was missing. So, yeah. But now I feel like as I'm getting older, I'm starting to... I can spot I can pick ways out that I think not having had a dad around when I was a kid is showing up. For instance, yes, for instance. I'm more comfortable I think socially around women than I am around guys. Same here. I just feel I know exactly how to play those interactions. No, it was my, my mo- it was my mom and my grandma. Yeah. My 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 Montoya life. It was my mom and my grandma Montoya. Life. Your Montoya life? My Montoya life. When you were my a master Mon- swordsman. My Nigo Montoya life. It was my mom and my grandma. They killed my father. Prepare to die. <laughs> no, they killed your. They your killed father. my dad. Yeah, it's uh, it was a great SVU episode, but um, uh, actually more criminal intent. <laughs> Overall, um, no, I mean it's the same thing. It's like, uh, and I'm I'm starting to see the same thing in a kind of a way. Mm-hmm. Like it's just like, like I, I was saying to a friend of mine the other day, I realized that I don't really talk about sex. Really, like. I talk about – I never go into detail or never had a conversation with someone about my sex life. Meaning the graphic details of Meaning a particular the details encounter. Of it. Right. Like it's just like, mm. oh, man, this, oh, this happened. Ha-ha. You know, that sort of interaction. And so it has happened every now and then if I'm talking to a guy friend and he takes it to that place, I'll like I, – I don't really like – I'm not like, yeah, this is what the conversation is now. I'll like say a couple things. I'm like, I'm out. Right? Yeah. And there's you don't like volunteer only, the info. Exactly. And there's like a few – male friends that I can talk about it to where it's not like it doesn't become like uh, the graphic details it's like it's usually when I talk about sex it's more about the context of the sex like who it was with and what it means yeah now that sex has happened it's like okay well she was in my life and now she's gonna be in my life blah 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 sure usually when I talk about sex it is with the female friend and it's never usually and it's never like graphic details of well we went to bed and this thing happened it was like um these emotional um situations uh added up to a sexual encounter and then uh after them I was like dominoes are set up when will they fall But not really. Yeah, I mean, I don't think... I definitely... When I've had funny, exceptional things happen physically in bed, then I'll talk about it with people. But I I agree. I mean, I wouldn't just say, you know, if I'm dating someone new, I won't just say, you know, yeah, first we had sex missionary, and then we flipped it over. I mean, if something really noteworthy happens, of course, you want to process it. Even even by by the pure fact that that is your example... Of graphic details of sex. Yeah. It just goes to show that it's Missionary, not something we talk about. Then we flipped then it we over. flipped it over. <laughs> and by flipping it over, I mean the mattress. It was just disgusting. It was time for it to flip over. Soaked almost through to the other side. Oh, now it's getting nasty. So, yeah. But, yeah. I, I mean, so not even in necessarily the sex realm, mm-hmm. but I just feel everywhere... I'm much more at ease. I have lots of guy friends. Yeah. And I have, I think my closest, closest friends are guys. Mm -hmm. But there's a certain maybe kind of guy that I'm more comfortable hanging out with. What kind of guy is that? I mean, hmm. 
I don't know. I guess I like to. I I I, I guess I just mean people who seem like me. I like sensitive fellas, articulate, <laughs> thoughtful dudes. I don't have any really close friends who are are broy bro bros. Yeah, broy bro bros and the uh, the bro bro brokerstra. <laughs> <laughs> The Brooklyn uh, bro harmonic. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. The Brooklyn the Brooklyn bra jurors. The bro, the bra. The bro, bro. I got nothing. Um, they're gonna do bro bra. <laughs> it's gonna be a figure bro. A a bro. You know by bro-tary? the bro the marche. What's a cro a coterie? C o t e r i e. I can look that up. Okay, but I won't. Um, not until later. Okay, so that's interesting. So you're just saying that like. As a gentleman who has hasn't didn't grow up with a father, that the, what maleness is has been different for you than I guess what society. Because I see guys who seem like they're more comfortable hanging out with other dudes than they are with girls. Yeah, with women, mm-hmm. and I don't I don't get that. I don't relate to it. Well, because there is that that whole like um, I've never felt awkward around girls. Have you ever felt that? I mean, like, I, not for a long time. I did when I was yeah. an awkward teenager, but I guess even when I was a teenager, like, if there were certain girls that I, I, I just never would bother them. You know, I was so obsessed with not being the guy that I heard every girl talk about guys being that I would ne- like. If I liked a girl, most of the time, I would just never bother her with the information. That you liked her? Yeah. What was the guy that you heard girls saying just, guys just were? The, the uh, guys are like this. You know, that kind of the generalization of they're, they're users, abusers, you know, they're, they're, they stonewall, they don't express themselves, they, you know, took advantage of me, they uh, didn't call, they, you know, um, talked crap about me, they're telling everybody our business, blah, I, blah, blah. I know. That's a tricky thing. I agree, and you don't. When you hear that, you don't think, "Yeah, that's me. I'm that guy." Exactly. It doesn't. It doesn't sound familiar. But I know what most women that most of the time, most of the time, when you're dealing with a woman, you are dealing with every man that they've ever dealt with. It's like there's a yeah. lot. Sometimes there's a lot of baggage that you have to unpack, if you will, if you want to get involved. Depending on the person, of course. Side note: What's confusing is I've I've been in relationships with women who talk the talk of not wanting that and then really do seem to respond well when i do something stereotypically guyish the you know when i'm cl- when i g- when i come close they retreat and when they and when i pull back it you know it excites them and gets them into it well it's because i think it's, that's that pattern and it's also human nature i'm definitely susceptible to it i don't know if it's human nature as much as it's training i think it's a little sure. bit more it's like it's like that's what they've experienced yeah and it's like those behaviors have been equated with certain emotions you know, it's like like jealousy, um, for instance. It's like uh, I read this thing about jealousy, and it's like most women will provoke jealousy on purpose because it is their means of seeing if a guy cares about them or not. So they'll say that they found something attra- someone attractive or thought something that they didn't really think just to see how the guy will react. Huh? And I don't. Th- I don't feel like I've had a lot of experiences with that. Do I have, you? I've had some experience with that. Yeah. A people prodding your jealous button to see how you react on to it? purpose. And if I don't if I don't react in a jealous way, then to them they're taking it as I don't care, I don't care enough to be possessive or to fight. Or do you like go that. there? You're not a possessive guy relationship. Not really. Wise. You know, it just depends on the person, obviously. But like, it's like it it, it has happened where it's like there. It's I've gotten pushed so much that I'll I'll 
eventually have some sort of reaction, yeah. Hmm. But I don't know if it's what they're expecting or what they want. And of course, it's like it's like the person who says, "I don't want to fight." They love to fight. If any person that's like, "I don't, I don't like to fight," then they they want to fight. Especially if that's the only way that you learn. If you've learned through all of your relationships, that's the only way to communicate where you actually are expressing feelings. Yeah. Then that's what they do. You know, even though they might say on the surface, "I don't want to do that," you dig. Yeah, I think bringing it up and naming it means it's on their radar of something that they're thinking about, and there's probably a spectrum where they're dealing with it. Mm-hmm. They're aware that it's not a like if someone says, "I don't, you know, I don't go in for those kind of games," or you know, "I hate that kind of thing." It's something they have experienced before, and they're working through it. They think about it, and there probably is some degree of sensitivity there. It's in there, like a schmin there. Okay, other ways that I think not having a dad around has affected me. Boom, let's do it. I feel disadvantaged in ways that I don't know about stuff like cars and handling money and what else? Um, Traditional kinds of dad, you know, the traditional where the dad would take over. Now, I'm not obviously saying that women can't know about cars and money and the practical matters of life, but my mom isn't the kind of woman who's really strong in those areas and taught me to do that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I feel when I, when those um, blind spots will show up in my life, I can feel myself being like, if I'd had a dad around, maybe this would be something I'd know more of how to do. And I actually think that I dodged a bullet with my dad not being around because he had a lot going on. Like they got divorced for a reason. There was some serious like bipolar mental illness stuff happening. Okay. But so if he'd been around, there's no guarantee that I would have been taught about those areas of life. You would have been taught about completely different areas of the mind. Right. I might have been exposed to some really harmful stuff. Mm. But um, Especially if swallowed. (laughs) (laughs) Very harmful if swallowed. Continue what you're saying. But – it's more it's more a perception that I have hmm. when I spot those. And sometimes, unfortunately, I feel like I get into – sometimes I blame my mom a little bit for it, which I don't like. It's, it's you know, you a pattern you that I'm mom? aware of. What do you mean you blame her? Like I didn't get parented in, the, in some of those ways. And so it's something that I've had to either teach myself or just stuff that I still don't know. Hmm. Having one parent around is less parental information you get poured into you than two. Very true. That's why uh, uh, cable <laughs> television picked up a lot of that slack. Thank you, TV dads, especially Bill Cosby. Anyway, um, uh, interesting. Uh, okay, well, here's or like a- building stuff. Yeah, my, my uncle's a landlord, and he's so hands on. Hands on, and I'm totally helpless in those departments. But what do you think about? Um, so when you feel those feelings, is it like uh, it's not something that you're. Here's my question. Yeah. Is it something that you're you're just seeing it every now and then? When it comes up, you're like, oh, that's something that maybe if I had a dad, I would know. Or is it a, a consistent pattern that you're seeing over and over again? Or does it catch you off guard? Or you're like, mm, this is, yeah, now I see that. I think it's pretty consistent. I mean, I think mm-hmm. it's a thought that crops up a lot. But what do you do to counteract that? Are you like teaching yourself about these things? If you want to build things, you could take a class. I know. And I'll ask my uncle who's who's like, you know, he's the... He's the knee plus ultra of knowing how to handle his shit. Okay. And I'll say, how did you learn how to do that? And he'll say stuff like, I just got some books out of the library and started tinkering around with it, which really impresses me. <laughs> I, I've never tried to take anything like that on. There's actually no part of my life that requires me to build anything or be handy. You yeah, know? but if you're, are you interested in it? I'd like to be able to know how to do it. Because I'm learning for myself that I love putting shit together so i got legos on top of my mm-hmm. ikea 
you know, thing, which is... Did you build the Legos. Ikea thing? Ikea is Legos for cheap adults. <laughs> a tweet that did get retweeted that I liked. It is. It's, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to take it to the next level with Legos. After I get there. Yeah. And you have a literal Lego sculpture on yeah, top of your Ikea furniture. Exactly. The London Bridge and the one that's in a rocket ship right there. And you can see I have the, the falling water building right here. That's for later. Ooh. Is um, there Lego water that you put in that? Yeah. Gray Lego water? The Legoist of waters. Wow. That's fun. Mm-hmm. See, guys? It's real. Yeah, it's uh, it's Lego number twenty one double five. Wow, Lego's really stepping their game up. Yeah, they are. They realize that people like us have grown up and still have money. Apparently, baseball cards are like that now. Jesse Pop was telling me. Oh yeah, it's not for kids. They sell three cards a pack, and they put things like a scrap of uniform in there, and so you might strike it rich and have a crazy collector's item. Wow, I know that is kind of insane. I've never heard of that. Mm-hmm. Okay, well let's get back. Yeah, to the thing. Back to life and back to reality. Um, you okay? So, because you're you're sort of going towards this, and I guess my question is, what the hell is manhood? Especially, and you you mean manhood or manliness? Because we were talking about that before. Yeah, we were talking about the difference. I mean both because <clears throat> I think some of these insecurities are things about manliness mm-hmm. that you feel like you're not enough of a man. In someone in the eyes of whomever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is sort of a thing that I've been, you know, it's a it's a picture of what a man is that uh, that's been handed down to me. Mm. And I don't think it's necessarily a prerequisite for. I, I don't think manliness is a prerequisite for manhood. I think there are important things about being a guy that don't fit into the like. Let's say like the maximum stereotype of like what a dude is. Mm-hmm. Which but, is which is you know like. Uh, what the Maxim thing is? Well, I'm just thinking... No, I know. You're talking about Maxim Magazine. Yeah. Well, I'm just talking about, like, but what is manliness... What is the difference between manhood and manliness as you see it? I guess I think manliness is, to a large extent, something that we're kind of sold. Okay. It's a... It's just like a suit. It's like the Spike TV... Yeah. You know, like, we want to... These are things that guys like. Yeah. This is what being a guy is. If you're not into these things... Then you're not a guy. Yeah. Or guys are into these things, so... Draw your own conclusions on that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. And if you're not gay, and if you're not, uh, maybe there are other networks you'd like. Logo. <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny, too, because I feel like I know a lot of gay men who, first of all, being gay for some reason is not manly, right? Even though, like, they're yeah. so manly that they got to get all up inside another man. Right. That's it. seems like ultra Not, not ultra even manliness. women in the picture. Not even women. There's, so, there's nothing but men. That's how manly they are. Yeah. But I feel like I know a lot of gay men who are way outside of the stereotype yes. of, of gayness, gayliness. Yeah. Um, and especially, like, ones that, like... Dude, things like that, like sports, that like cars, that played sports, that you know, know. see, it's so stu- like to build things that uh, hate effeminate men. I had, was walking down the street with a gay male friend in New York once, and another gay man, really feminine, walked by, and he was like, "Ugh, look at that faggot." I'm like, "What?" But you're gay. I didn't know that gay people did that. I was like, "Is that like nigga?" Like, I'm like, "Oh, faggot, please." Where my faggot at? I didn't know that was like a thing that gay people did. But no, he just hated that man. He just hated him <laughs> and used a hateful word. Is that like in a self-hating way? Like he doesn't like that he affectation? Doesn't like that kind of gay. Hmm. That's not his 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 brand. Wow. That wasn't his brand of gay. His Th- brand of gay is less gay. This would be interesting. I would like to talk about this sometime with a gay guy. Yeah, but I gotta yeah. get a gay I gotta get a gay guy on this bad boy. Get a gay guy. <laughs> That's the reggae voice. <laughs> get a gay guy. I gotta get a gay guy on this bad guy. Whole son of a gay and about some whole. 
It's so stupid for me to think, like, when I hear myself say, oh, I don't know how to build a cabinet, so I, I'm insecure about being a guy, but... Don't judge yourself, brother. It's, I mean, it is something that's, it's something that's in my brain, for sure. Okay, so, again, examples of what you think are manliness. Okay, going on the building a cabinet, what are some of the things that you're seeing that are in your brain that are like, ah, oh, if I could do this, I'd be more of a man? Here's sometimes what I think. Okay. We are in a super self-directed line of work, comedy. Yeah, I was going to say something about that, yeah. It's not a boss kind of thing. And a boss is an authority figure. And for me, authority figures have a huge amount in common with father figures. So to be in a line of work that requires me to be my own father figure... You know, a lot of the time and doesn't have a, a there are external indicators of when you achieve success or when you're doing a good job in our field, like mm-hmm. you're earning enough money to support yourself during com- doing comedy or you get picked for a show or you get a TV appearance. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the time in a day to day way, I feel very self-directed. And so when I'm frustrated with where things are headed for me career wise, which is the great the biggest thing that I think about all the time, it occupies the most of my thoughts. Um, sometimes I feel like I'm I'm reaching for this and I'm kind of thinking on the go so bear with me. Of course. But I think that it's hard for me to feel when I'm frustrated with where th- with where things are at career-wise, sometimes I feel like damn it, if I'd had more authority guidance early on hmm. and maybe the way that sometimes guys father figures make me feel, maybe I would have a clearer idea about what to do next or have more self-assurance and self-confidence about where to take things next. With this self-directed enterprise. Hmm. Okay. That's that's pretty that's pretty interesting. I've never thought about that way. Like like you're saying, we're we're trying to be our own father figures. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, well, I think a lot of comics have. I mean, I've heard a lot of on other podcasts. Who talks about this? Marin talks about this all the time. Yeah. About comics have dad issues. It tends to be a thing with male comics. Hmm. There's some stuff going on with the dad. Daddy I, issues. I think everybody has daddy issues, and I think it has a lot to do with, like. How old are you? 31. Yeah. So we're about the same age. Yeah. Our generation is the fatherless generation. Like, it's like that that stretch of time, I want to say from 75 to 85, mm-hmm. people that were born in that 10-year period, just their fathers didn't give a shit. Like, it was like there was so much going on. And I don't, I like, when I meet people that are like, oh, yeah, my, my parents are still together. I'm like, what? <laughs> we can't hang out. <laughs> like, I was with a group of people this weekend, and we were talking about this. One person wasn't a divorced kid, and everyone was like, what are you talking about? And uh, you know what? Because I, I have a friend whose parents have been together her entire life. And for some weird reason, it's given her amazingly unrealistic expectations of what a relationship should be. Oh, man. Of what a relationship should be. And it's like, it's not not what her parents have. That's not what my parents have. That is not what my parents have. But it's like, my point is, um, is that it just seems like a lot of fathers in that 10-year span pieced out. And there's ridiculous amounts of reasons you know we're coming out of vietnam there's cold Mm -hmm. war going on you know um drug epidemics um you know corporations taking over brother reagan 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 right Mm -hmm. who knows why there's Mm -hmm. a lot of different reasons um but it happened and now i'm seeing that guys our age who have gone the family route most of which did not grow up with fathers refuse will be damned before they do to their child what their father did to them Interesting. And there's like a massive overcompensation. Do you have lots of friends with kids? Uh, not a lot, but I have a couple. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I don't have, I, I don't, I have very few. 
And the, no one that I'm really close with has a kid. Two, my two best friends in high school both are married with children, but they also grew up with, func- with quote-unquote, functional families. Right. Traditional. Like their parents are still together. Yeah. Although now a traditional family is going to be a divorced one, right? Because there's more than not. Yeah. Modern family. So I – Congratulations on, on the Emmy. <laughs> I'm the Emmy sweet, by the way. <laughs> Guys, great work. Um I I write for a web series, mm-hmm. and I have... What's the name of the series? Epic Rap Battles nope. of History. I don't like that. Okay. I don't like that title. I'm joking. Epic <sighs> Rap Battles of History, which I've seen. Um, you played Albert Einstein in that episode that I saw. Yeah. Which yeah. is great. Was it Einstein versus Stephen Hawking? Versus Stephen Hawking. Hilarious. And I've seen a lot of those. Those are great. Thanks. Yeah. Continue and what you were saying. Though. Credit due to the guys who started it. Yeah. Who's the guy who started it? Um, nice Peter is his nice name. Nice Peter. Right, right. And Lloyd Alquist. Yeah, um, fairly funny. Nice Peter was hawking in your video, right? He was hawking. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Anyway, I interrupted. That's fine. So I'm writing for the web series. They, you know, I'm going to be acting in more of them, but everyone they make now I'm writing on. Mm-hmm. And they pay me a tiny amount of money, which I'm still appreciative for. Thanks, guys. But, um, you know, I have bosses and deadlines and... I have to write a certain amount of material yeah. every two weeks, and then we have a phone meeting where we check out about, check in about the material that we wrote. And on Friday, we had a meeting, and I just – I had really good material, and it got, like, big laughs over the phone, and I was praised for the work that I did. And when I hung up the phone, I was euphoric. And I thought about it, and I said – I thought to myself, why am I so happy right now? And it's because I, – I, I think it's related to dad stuff. It was structure and authority. I haven't had any of that since college. It's just been me making decisions all the time. And it's so nice to have be like, here's what you have to do. And then Mm. you're done and that's it. And you did a great job at it. It's not something we get all the time. That is true. I mean, like, and kind of on the same topic, I realized that, uh, you know, what you were saying before, I have problems with authority. (laughs) Do you? And I didn't realize it until this is what, you know what? To the point that I never wrote a paper in high school. Hmm. You know how you're supposed to do that? Didn't. Did not do it. Really? How did you, you know, make I, it through high school? I failed English. Oh, really? And then had to take summer school. That's bizarre that you failed English. You're such a word and language kind of guy. It's because there's specific rules to how you have to write a paper. And I did not care for them. Yeah. It's like the moment someone tells me, here's how it's supposed to be done, I am completely resistant I'm completely like, no, I'm not going to do that. I am the total opposite. I want that stuff. And I was such a good kid in high school. Mm. I got great grades and did exactly what was asked of me. I would have gotten good grades if I had done what was asked of me. (laughs) But I I always got the disappointment, like, you're so smart, but you're not doing X, Y, and Z. And it's because I could ace a test. So I passed every test. So I got, like, Bs. I got solid Bs and, like, some As. And I I was headed towards, like, a honors, you know, or IB... Um, uh, diploma, mm-hmm. but because of that English thing, like the paper was literally fifty percent of a semester grade, so not writing the paper was automatic fail. Yeah, it's a big deal. Then I had to go to summer school, which there were no honors classes, and I took that, and I was the star of my English class <laughs> in summer. And then, uh, and then I got that grade, and I was, I had no regrets. I was like, yeah, I didn't have to write that paper. I didn't have to write that paper. That's the way I saw it. But now I see that, like. So when I have when I do work better under a deadline most of the time, but I usually wait until last minute, which is never good. Mm-hmm. I'm very bad at being my own boss mm-hmm. at the busy work. You know Roger Hales. Yeah, he's that great joke. He's like I, I finally became my own boss, and I'm, I'm realizing I'm a horrible boss <laughs> because I have what seems to be a very lax masturbation policy. <laughs> 
just anytime, anywhere. That's a great joke. <laughs> yeah, it's he's a great joke writer. Uh, but um, last night I was at a vegan restaurant and another comedian said, "Our waiter looks exactly like Roger Hales," and I said, "Roger Kales," and I just needed a little. <laughs> This is the only place I'm ever going to be able to say that. <laughs> and it just happened last night. Thanks. So, At least you put it in the context. Yeah, for sure. For a good fat, good fat story. Good fat story. I meant to say fun story, but my brain was like, fun is fat. That was a fat great, is fun. That was a great fat story. Yeah, exactly. That fatty Roger Hales. With the PH. He's not fat. <laughs> He's lanky. <laughs> you can Google image search him. I guess he yeah. has pictures up. I don't know. Uh, but what were you saying before? You were about to say something. I guess just... Oh, well, do you do well with assignments when you have to write jokes for, like, we've talked about doing talking head stuff before for E or VH1. Do you like those assignments? I will do them, and then I immediately regret it. Like, it's like, yeah, sure, I'll do that show, and I have, like, two weeks of notice. I'm like, I'm going to write a bunch of jokes. I'm going to do this. And then, like, as I start to do it, I'm like, I can't do this. Like, I'm just writing these jokes, and I'm like, oh, it's so annoying. But I learned, I just got better at riffing and, and on the subject. Yeah. Because also, like, there is that feeling, and I told you this, that sometimes you don't know what the hell it is that they're going to use. Right. So it's like you've written all of these jokes, and it's just like I was saying with Twitter, sometimes you write something that you love, and then when you watch the thing, not in there at all. Yeah, totally not their sensibility. But I mean, more in general, do you, like, I, I, I try to write every day, mm-hmm. and, or let's say like five days a week. I try to go for five to six days a week of writing, yeah. at least yeah. some time in front of a notebook writing. And I will just hang out in front of my notebook. I still count it as writing time, but my brain has the infinite universe of topics to choose from. Mm-hmm. And I'll think, what's the premise for my next comedy rap? And I just can't settle on anything. I'll noodle around. I'll write little puns. I'll think up little things to tweet. But I don't walk out of these sessions with a song. I have like two assignments that I need to finish by Monday, and I know without a shadow of a doubt that I will have written the you mean Monday tomorrow? material. Yeah. Well, this, not is whole, sun, this is a Sunday, by the way. Not two whole songs. I have to write a, a one verse for a project my friend's on and then one other thing that I'm trying to get finished. But mm. I know that I'll have those done, and it's because there's some accountability. Yeah, because you have to finish it. And, you know, you and just... someone else told me what to write about. Oh, that too. So yeah. now you could just rise to the occasion. So is that a manhood thing? I don't know. I mean, well, it, the link's getting a little thin, maybe. I but... just thought of something while you, just in terms of, again, my problem with authority. And I, with my process, I feel like I am not as productive as I could be. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't, I do and don't write every day. I'm always writing down ideas for jokes, mm-hmm. a subject I want to tackle. Most of my act, I, sometimes I say, the, all of my act has been written while I was trying to write one joke. Hmm. It's like I've been trying to write one joke my entire career, hmm. and everything else is just stuff I got distracted by. Hmm. By the time, by you know, like, okay, I'm going to write a joke about this, and then the majority of my act comes out of stuff that, you know, oh, oh I'm going to write this joke, but now I thought about this, and so let me figure that out. You don't mean you've been, there's one holy grail joke that you've been trying to write your whole career. You just mean while trying to write another joke, you'll have other thoughts, yeah. and that's where you're acting like, from. It's basically, it's almost like my entire career has been trying to write four jokes. These four specific jokes. Do you that, know what they are? No. <laughs> oh, okay. So it's not like, I gotta write a joke about yeah. my dad leaving, or whatever the... Yeah, yeah, in sort of a way, it's like, it, it happens every now and then, it's like one joke, and I'm like, oh, I'm gonna write that joke, and then I forget about it, and write a whole hour, having nothing to do with what Whatever that subject is. That's cool. It's like you're distracting your brain from... Yeah. Uh, you're freeing up part of your brain by like tasking some of it to one subject. Exactly. It sort of takes the burden off. But in a sort of similar thing that you were just saying, I, th- I get really... the 
extremes of how I feel after a set are becoming more extreme. Like, like it's the like lows are lower, the, the highs are higher. The, mm, the highs are about the same, but the lows are definitely lower. Really, the lows are. De- I did a show which Katie was in attendance. At, called Hand Shucked, Rob O'Reilly's show, mm-hmm. right? At the Theater for the Moving Arts? At the Theater for the Moving Arts. And um, who else was on the show? Dave Ross and um, Eric Andre and Pete Holmes, right? Mm-hmm. And Fun show. I, I could not have hated my set more. I left in the... Because Katie and Pete and some people went to hang out, and I was like, yeah, I'll meet you. And I just sat at home because I was like, I can't be around people. That's a low low. And I said something to Pete, which I thought... I said something to Pete Holmes, which I thought was a freeing statement. And I might have said this on the podcast already. I'm not sure if I have. But I said to Pete, because you know what? If you do a show and everyone does badly, then I'm like, I can sleep. But it felt like I had the worst set of everybody on the show. So I was like, well, then it was definitely me. It was not the audience. That's how I felt. I don't know if it was true. Okay. But that's what I felt. So after the show, I said to Pete, you know, I'm trying so hard to be a great comedian. And not everyone can be great. Some people are just good. I think I'm just good. Everyone can't be Pryor. Some people are this other guy you've never heard of. That was Pryor's best friend. You know, well, not Paul Mooney because Paul Mooney's a genius, but like somebody else that you don't even know that was around at Pryor's time but never got to Pryor's level. And I'm like, maybe I should just aim to be good instead of trying to be great because I'll take pressure off myself. And he was like, that is the most depressing thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> well, first of all, I'll say. But I think that's just, I think it's father issues is what I'm saying. Why? Because I I shit up because I'm disappointed in my act because I don't think I've worked hard enough at it. Yeah. How do you know what I never am I can never tell and, myself and you're I'm working thinking, hard enough. And I'm thinking, would a father have been like, Hey, do that, do that thing, you know, my whole entire life, get that done and I'd have that work ethic. Is my lack of work ethic yeah. from lack of father. Absolutely. There's like a ghost dad, Bill Cosby. Another <laughs> Bill Cosby reference right there. Who directed that movie? Do you know? No. Sidney Poitier. What? Sidney Poitier directed Ghost Dad. Continue what you were saying. <laughs> Speaking of directors, GW Pabst. <laughs> Georg which is, Pabst. It is Georg Wilhelm Pabst, Austrian film director. Um, lived from 1885 to 1967. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, let's see. Some of his most famous films concern the plight of women in German society, including The Joyless Street with Greta Garbo. Um, the and- Joyless Street really sounds like a movie about Germany. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Diary of a Lost Girl, Louise Brooks, Pandora's Box. Those are his last two um, uh, movies, I guess. Anyway, what were you saying? <laughs> um, thanks. Thanks for checking in about that. Yeah, I just had to. I, I also feel I never know when I'm working hard enough. I don't. I always feel like I'm not working, and I, I beat myself up for wasting tons of time. And Absolutely. I think it's a ghost dad in my brain. Ghost dad. Ghost dad. I'm, I'm like abusive dadding myself. Not abusive, but like shaming dadding myself. Yeah, the shaming. I shame myself a lot, too. You're not a man. Well, I, I, that is you're how not I feel. good, which maybe is me saying you're not a man. I feel like I'm not a grown-up in some ways, and I think it's a grown-up guy. I think it's a grown-up guy. Well, I think you just have to watch the movie Grown Ups, and then you'll know what that's all about. Okay, great. Okay. <laughs> Here's uh, the one other thing I want to talk about, unless Please. you have more to say on this. No, I, I'm, I actually I'm, really like hearing you say all this stuff because I, I'm not trying to puff any smoke up up the B, the B hole, mm-hmm. the barren hole, the spelling B hole, uh-huh. okay. the spelling B B B hole. Um, but uh, I I feel like every time I see you perform, you have really really strong sets. <sighs> you know what? I've, I I I have a bad set. Mm-hmm. I feel crappy. 
And then I have. Are they objectively bad sets, or are they you putting that on it? It's me putting that on. Okay, it. that's. And I have. A, I have a very high standard for myself, mm-hmm. and I still. I still don't even know what that standard is, but I just because I, I don't know what I'm gonna. Because I'm. I'm starting to be like, is there me being happy about this? Yeah. Like, does that exist? Is there gonna be a point where I'm on stage saying everything I love, and I just feel great about everything and everyone around me? Like, is that even possible? It's kind of a ridiculous. And is idea. it even desirable? I think the it's like a you know grain of sand in an oyster. It, the irritation keeps you creating. Well, you know, because we just did that show the other night. Which yeah, how did you feel about that show? I felt great about it. I did too. Because I didn't care. That's the thing. The stakes get high. So it's like, this, if I have a bunch of good sets, then I'm like, I know what I'm doing. I get a little cocky. The stakes get higher, especially because I'm, I, I'm, re- I'm resistant to this idea, but I have a, a rep. Like people, some people haven't heard of me. I've done television. Mm-hmm. You know, I have an album now. So it's like, well, now people expect a certain level. Oh, this is that Baron Vaughn guy I've been hearing so much about. So if I fail, then I feel awful. Yeah. If I feel like I didn't deliver the Baron Vaughn I know I can be, then I feel shitty and I beat myself up for days, sometimes week, uh, you know, depending on when the next set is. But then the stakes lower. So then that next set, set is usually great. Because the stakes are so low for me that I'm like just having fun. Aren't those nice sets? Those ones, <laughs> the great. surprise awesome set. They're great. By the way, Freddie and Slip, you said I beat myself up for days, sometimes week. Did I say week and not sometimes weeks? Yeah, sometimes a week. I forgot the uh. Mm. Thanks, mm. Freud. It's so weird that he walked around wearing a, a, a woman's undergarment. I know it's Freudian, so Freudian. A Freudian slip. <laughs> what would he have had to say about himself? Good. Um, yeah, Freudian slip by penis envy. Continue <laughs> <laughs> by penis envy. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, what were you going to say? You said you made it made you feel good to hear me say this stuff, or well, I, I felt the goodness of empathy. Yeah. I agree. I feel like that too. You're not alone. Is what you're saying? Yeah, and I think everybody. I think everybody or almost everybody grapples with that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Of course, but we always have that thing where it's like I'm the only one who ever feels this, but then it's always good. To- it's really a profound and true feeling when you have it. Like, boy, if other people knew what was going on inside here. Yeah, and then you hear someone say exactly what you're feeling. Like, oh, I guess guess other people do. Which is weird because part of what we do on stage is to try to say things that, I mean, a a big thing of comedy is naming things that everybody feels but doesn't articulate. Mm -hmm. And and making audiences, you know, uniting yourself into one kind of brain and being like, see the world my way? Like, we all do think, you know, I feel like that's a part of what I do on stage. Yeah, of course. And so it's weird that we don't have that self-awareness for ourselves to think everybody... Everybody, I mean, you do sometimes, but just to think, everybody thinks these crazy things that I think. We should know that. It's what we do on stage. Yeah. Try to bring it out. But there is that element of, you know, just me. The 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 um the say the the, the line. That you oh, say. on stage? Huh? No, really? Just, just me? me? Hmm. I'm okay, the only, I'm the only one. <laughs> there is that. There are. There is such a thing that we can both imitate it perfectly. Yeah. Exactly. Really? Oh, just oh, me. Just hmm. me? Huh? No. Nobody? <laughs> <clears throat> okay, well. Yeah. Well, moving on to something we can all uh, agree on. Because um, I'm trying to go towards more that, trying to make it very specific, I guess, in a sort of a way. Trying to court my idiocy on stage. Say more. Well, become more vulnerable, you know? Like, I think I'm vulnerable to an extent, but I'm trying to figure out. You know, um, I'm trying to address things I feel conflicted about mm-hmm. on stage. Mm-hmm. Like, um, well, I have that new. I don't know if you heard this new joke I have about. Um, it kind of you know ties with something we were saying before about like how I have the sensitivity of not wanting to be the guy that all girls, 
you know, so I, it's it's in essence a rape joke, but not a rape joke. Mm. And because you, as I have to say the word rape, and I have to talk about rape. Yeah. And luckily, I've had a good three or four female comedians tell me that joke's not really about rape; it's about you being an idiot. I'm like, thank you. Yes, that's exactly what I'm going for. Okay. Which is that, I, you know, having a lot of female friends. And having had sleepovers, you know, most of the time not the oh, same I bed. Oh, I like this joke. Yeah, and not most of the time not the same bed, you know. But every woman does have this thing in their head where it's like, maybe he'll rape me. You know, it's just there. Yeah. And I am sensitive to that, and I try to create, as the joke goes, what I believe is a non-rape environment. Right. Which looks exactly like I'm trying to create a rape environment. <laughs> right. By trying not to, you do it. By trying not to be creepy, I become more creepy. Yeah. That's the, that's the, the crux of the joke. But it's something I feel conflicted about because it's like, then you know, just like it's a, it, there's a, a dichotomy there of like I'm trying to do one thing, but one other thing is happening. Yeah, and I think the other thing is, I, I painting myself more as, as a, an idiot or vulnerable, and it's something that I'm I don't because I want them to feel comfortable. You know what I'm saying? But mm-hmm. I'm making them feel uncomfortable, and I feel bad about it. Mm-hmm. That's the the crux of the joke that yeah. I don't I don't really come out on top. Here's something stupid I did, but that's something that you actually do feel really bad about and. You know, it, it's yeah. obviously and it's and it's something that's real. Something that's why thought about a lot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's why I was like, oh, I can do that joke because I uh, something happened where I'm like that. I can turn it into a, a bit, if you will. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. I I think early on in my in this in my like in the act that I do now, I just tried to write raps about the most random. Like a lot of the humor was Spick like a, a rap turn. about that. Yeah, what? <laughs> <laughs> Who is this guy? Who is this, Mister Napkins? But now. I'm try I really like stuff that I can ground. I still like writing raps about things that raps aren't usually written about, but I really like stuff that you know has some has some foundation well, to I it. Well, I really like that new rap you have about the French the French girlfriend. Mm. Mm-hmm. And it is there is a there is a uh it's vulnerable. You're letting, it's like you there is an element of like I'm learning something about you. Yeah. While you're telling that it is it is like more Zach and less like that's crazy that he would. He's rapping about sphygmomanometers. I have this new rap about pill bugs that I put in the oh, yeah. in the category of in the category of raps about a crazy thing. Mm-hmm. But it is true, and it's based on an interaction that I had with a woman. And so, to me, even if it still feels a kooky, feels like a kooky, wacky what rap? What? There's there, there's more foundation to it. I know that there's more foundation to it because it it's feel, a real thing. And I'll tell you, it feels like there's more foundation to it too. Yeah, because you're you're again, you're letting us in. Like you're like, this is a good thing if I if I were to call you that. Yeah. So let's okay. Anyway. Yeah. One other thing I want to talk about real let's quick. Com- I know let's, let's compliment each other less. <laughs> okay. <laughs> During this podcast, I think another way that being a guy is a thing is mm-hmm. I often feel effeminate, and I feel sometimes women will say to me, "I've had women." Many of them tell me what a nice, sweet guy I am. Yeah, yeah. And I grew up the only child of a rabbi, single mom, and I was like rabbi boy growing up all the way. What? Yeah. Rabbi, single mom? Yeah. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> By the way, rabbi, single mom, this fall on CBS. <laughs> Written by Whitney Cummings. Um <laughs> That, why, okay, continue, please, more so, about that. So that was really... That was really feminizing, I think. Hmm. I mean, I grew up in this environment where I was I was a really good kid, and I got praised all the time for being such a nice, sweet kid. And the environment I grew up in it with was, you know, it was my mom and a lot of her female friends. Like, that was who I was kind of raised by in a way. 
And it sort of ties back to the thing we were talking about before with discomfort with guys. It takes being around. a village of rabbis. But yeah, I mean, I was like, I, I don't know. I just sometimes I feel, you know, I get told I'm nice a lot in the comedy community. Do you get the brother from girls? Like, no. You're like a brother to me. I don't get that a lot. Okay. No. We'll continue what you were saying then. Um, that's my little uh, tangent. Won't yeah, you that's on? fine. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> have you heard a lot of girls say that they think of me as a brother? Oh, God. <laughs> Peace, brother. Just continue your saying. Oh, though. is that what you mean? No, no. no. Is that what you guys... Okay, so... Um, <laughs> uh, but, yeah, so I don't know. I mean, I, I feel that sometimes now... You feel effeminate. Yeah, I do. What? But what is... I do. So, but what is effeminate? Like you feel like you you feel that way, or you feel like people are thinking that about you, like it's being projected onto you, or do you feel like, oh man, I'm doing something that's effeminate? I think it's more. I think it's more something that I think other people are thinking about me. I don't feel effeminate, but sometimes, like someone once said, back when I still lived in Boston, you and Josh Gondelman are like the nicest guys in the Boston scene. Like you're just such sweethearts. And I just felt, I remember feeling, ugh, I don't want that label. Not that Gondola isn't a great guy. But what's wrong with the label? To me, it means you're like a sweetie pie. And I don't like the feeling. I don't know. I'm really but uncomfortable what, with Keep wrong? rotting. We're going to get there. What's but wrong I with need, sweetie pie? Um, I want to be more. What do I want? I'm. I, um,. I'm really something about it makes me really uncomfortable. I think it's like both of those words have sweet, sweetheart and sweetie pie. Yeah. So you don't like feeling like high fructose corn syrup. Yeah. Why am I uncomfortable with it? Yeah. Can you well, keep asking around it? I want to get there and I'm not holding well, something I'm back. Interested I'm in just like, trying to lock so onto you the thought. Feel like, but it, do you feel like it's a condescending compliment or No, I think people really mean it. But you're like, ah, oh, sweetie pie, but a man is mean. Yeah. I should be punched. people should be like, I'm afraid of you. I should be rough and tumble. Do you feel like it's I have all this chest hair. More do you feel like you want that kind of respect? You want more fear? Respect? Respect, you want to be respected for being a man. Like, you want somebody, instead of saying, hey, you're a sweetheart, to say, like, you're so strong and rugged. Yeah. Maybe mm. I want to be, maybe I want more recognition for things that seem to me more traditionally masculine qualities. Hey, you built that? You yeah. Built, you built that car, Zach? Yeah. Fucking A, brother. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Gonna go pick up some bitches in it. That's right. Because you mean, are not a sweetheart. Right. You're a jerk. Yeah. I mean, mm. like, I, I... Maybe this is why I got into rap when I was a kid. I mean, in the hip hop because of the masculinity. It's so it. testosterone. Yeah. Okay. Continue. So Just work I, my, through it. My first raps were. <laughs> I know this is really. This is very. Um, like my first raps were that I wrote were about like fucking bitches and killing people. Mm-hmm. And now it is what I was listening to and all the hip hop that a I was girl into. Girl sweatshirt. So yeah, my girl sweatshirt. Yeah. <laughs> Who I think was. I think he's. I think he's in a mom situation. He's like seventeen or something. Yeah. Didn't they send him away? Yeah, he's in another continent. Yeah, because like, oh, he's violent. We should send him to a school. Yeah. Okay. Continue what you were saying, though. I was like a little Earl sweatshirt, mm-hmm. which is definitely as goofy a rap name as MC Mr. Napkins, by the way. Were you MC Mr. Napkins from the very beginning? No. What was your first rap incarnation? Z Styles. Oh my God! How do you spell Styles? S T Y L. Z. Oh, the double Z. <laughs> so you'd know it was hip hop. Oh, okay. All right. All right. And then I was Zach the Ripper for a little while. Oh, that's funny. A H at the end. Of course. And then my friend Kyle was 
into reggae, so he started calling me Ripa Don. Was that that's one of your nicknames? Yeah. You need more nicknames, by the way, in your in your hip hop alter ego because every 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 rapper has like eight names. Sure, AKA you know, Teflon Don. Blah, AKA. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, Hove Jigga. Sure. What's Kanye? Kanye's the Teflon Don, right? Sure, and Yeezy and Yay. Kanye Yeezy, yeah, Yay. Mm-hmm. Teflon Don, Mr. West. <laughs> The Napkins Man from F Napkins Stan. I used to call myself that every now and then. Na- the Napkins Man? Mm-hmm. My friend Dave calls me Naparoo. Naparoo. That's a good one. Yeah. Naparoo. Yeah. Yo, this is Mr. Napkins, a.k.a. A.k.a. Naparoo, a- motherfucker. A.k.a. the Napkins Man from the Napkins Stan. Man. I'm a man. A.k.a. Bounty, the quicker picker <laughs> <laughs> Your nickname should just be the slogan of a different corporation. Uh, <laughs> Uh, product any absorbent paper product really yeah. I'll, it's a I'll paper adapt. towel but still <laughs> not a napkin technically yeah but anyway we were on something i don't know man whoa oh, talk about freudian yoigledy doigledies <laughs> <laughs> okay well when I we think... texted about this podcast by the way you said and you want to talk about manliness and i said right oh and you wrote back so manly <laughs> yes exactly because <laughs> i also you had to say the t you had to really hit the t right oh see that's received pronunciation Mm, call back. Well, I think we touched on a lot of things. I know. I don't know if we if we if we got to the crux stuff, of it, but, but you know, it is a lifelong journey that you're a, on. This is a post a, a step along the way. You know what? Next time we talk, we'll check in on your relationship with your manhood. Let's 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 really quickly come up with like one or two concrete things I can think about. You know, as we move through. Well, the I was going to ask weeks. you. I was going to ask you. What do you What do you see yourself doing? Like moving forward on this subject. What are the What are the tasks you're going to set for yourself to achieve in terms of your manhood, your manliness, your manwitch, <laughs> your Manchester tasks for myself. Yeah, man tasks. Can you help me think of man tasks? Like can you reflect back from some things I've said and, you know, spot some vulnerable well, you, some you, sensitives? You, you as a man, right? Mm. You seem to have well, you were talking about building things. Mm-hmm. Which is really working with your hands. Yeah. And it's creation. Yeah. It's, I made that thing. Right. You know what I mean? Right. What about something having to do with that? Mm. Take on some sort of some hands-on, sort of, real world, not just writing, constructive assignment. Yeah. As opposed to a, a task of the brain, a task of the bate. Yeah. I remember I ran a marathon a few years ago, and my God, did that make me feel masculated? Is that a word? Masculine. Sure, but like the opposite of emasculated? Unemasculated. Unemasculated? <laughs> I think it's unemasculated. Okay. All right. So some sort of physical, something in the physical world? It could be physical, whether it's an exercise sort of thing or just building something, where it's like your hands are dirty. Even at the gym, I just do the elliptical machine. It's like the girly cardio. Lift something at the gym. Okay. I still think that the building, though, gym is different than building. Yeah, bodybuilding. Yeah, I'm thinking of something like a ta- like you made a table. Yeah, I'm gonna make a table and, or a chest, a chest or a desk. A I, need, I want a new little like round food table, like a dinner table to have at my, uh, but like a little breakfast nook kind of table. Maybe mm-hmm. I'll go buy one at IKEA, where I hate going. By the way, don't go it's to awful. IKEA. Get another one and build it. I think in the next year, mm-hmm. you should from scratch build that table from scratch. From scratch. So you're saying not buy the one with where you just have to put it together? Get some wood. Cut the wood. Yeah. Sand it. Yeah. Buff it. 
Exactly. Learn the words for the different things I should do to it. Maybe even just um, if you here's the thing, you could find a guy who knows how to do that mm. and build it with him. Observe the process, maybe get involved and say, like, look, I want to build this table, but I want to learn how to build a table. So I like it. Can you take me on that process? That's a great task. I'm the taskmaster. What can I say? What, will you help me build a table? <laughs> I don't know shit about tables. <laughs> Let's learn to build a table. We'll build a table and we'll bring it back and forth to our apartments every couple weeks. There you go. Like, That's a, what we'll do. like a divorced child. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it has to be supervised, like <laughs> supervised visits with the table. And we'll be two great dads to it. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, like Paul Reiser and that other guy. On that TV show. Right. Two dad, my two dads. That other guy. That's what happened to his career. <laughs> Paul Reiser and that other guy. That's the... I mean, it's right in the name, Reiser. He's going to yeah. be on top. Well, anyway. You can count on me. <laughs> That's the end of the podcast. Just, just me going, you can count on me. And that was Zach Sherwin. I hope um, you found that fascinating. I know that I did. Because, um, you know, it, it, it makes me think of what challenges I have facing my manhood and perhaps with Zach we will revisit this subject the next time that he's on or we'll talk about something that's completely different but it will probably tie to this anyway because as you know when your life is wrapped around something everything is a tentacle that's the saying that I made up that no one ever says and uh, probably no one ever says it because it makes absolutely no sense so that's deep shit and I'll see you next time